0: Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from SingleInTheCity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: Good evening, everyone. Thanks for joining me tonight for this week's Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm your host, Laura Bellata, dating and relationship expert and founder of SingleInTheCity.ca, joined by my lovely co-host, TV personality and philanthropist, Joan Kelly-Walker. Hi, Joan.
0: Hi, Laura. How's it going? Excellent. How are you
1: doing? I'm good. Well, I'm feeling a little under the weather. I can't lie. I should. Uh, <laughs> and uh, some family members have COVID, so that's not a good thing. But um, uh, we're, and I don't, I got tested, so I don't have COVID. But, you know, I'm, I am still feeling a little under the weather. It's funny, as soon as you
0: feel anything, you're like, COVID. So Yeah. Yeah. But, uh... you got to just look after yourself and stay home and, you know, drink lots of water and just, have a bath and just do everything to prop yourself up.
1: And that's what I'm doing. Now, tonight, we're going to be giving you an extra dose of dating advice as we're joined by our guest, Ariella Sarour. She's the Queer Dating Coach from QueerDatingCoach.com. Ariella is all about transforming the dating pool into one we enthusiastically want to jump into. And tonight, we'll be chatting about the Queer Dating Journey Making Dating Fun Again, and Exploring Non-Monogamy. Thanks for joining us tonight, Ariella.
2: I'm so, so happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: And just quickly, um, where are you calling us from?
2: I'm calling from New York City. Yay, New Yorker! (laughs) Yep. <laughs>
0: awesome. oh, so, Ariella, you've built your coaching career of, around a few, I want to say, refreshing things like enjoying the ride, finding your personal worth while dating, and we could do a whole show on that, and also helping mm-hmm. the LGBTQIA folks through different stages of their dating journeys. So, can you talk about what has your journey been like, and when did you know that helping other people through date coaching was what you wanted to do?
2: Yeah, for sure. So I have always loved dating. Um, it, it's it's something that scared me initially, but in the past couple of years, especially, I have just dated a lot and I just really love the process. So I have been helping people off the books for a long time. And it's it's kind of like the thing where after you come out of the closet, a lot of folks have the experience of reflecting on their childhood and being like wow I was really gay all along like I was such a gay kid why do I remember the first time I heard the word lesbian or things like that and for me I had a really similar experience with dating coaching it's like I've actually been doing this all along I would talk about dating in professional contexts and I'd help people role play about asking someone out and things like that so now in the past year or so I'm actually making it something that more people have access to me to to do for them because I'm really just Totally, totally enjoying it.
1: And from one dating coach to another, I love the feeling of knowing um, that I help someone through my work, whether that means finding someone love or helping them to love themselves along the way. And some of the things, uh, let's say, that I help people with in my coaching practice is um, offering personalized support and inspiration in areas like re-entering the dating world, and helping them navigate this new foreign dating landscape, anywhere from uh, online profile writing to utilizing their time effectively on dating apps to messaging people, I mean, how to ask people out on dates, suggesting tools to help people regain their confidence, dating etiquette, various advice on what to do in certain situations that they may find themselves in currently, like dealing with a person displaying hot and cold behavior, for example. These mm-hmm. are just some of the things that I help people with. So as a queer dating coach, there are many things that come up that pertain to the queer dating experience that you try to help people navigate, like the idea of relationship dynamics when, it's, uh, when it isn't heteronormative, uh, things like who takes charge in the relationship, especially when you're first beginning to explore them. What do you think is the best way for someone who is struggling to find their identity or place in a relationship um, to get more comfortable? And and what advice do you offer in the area of dating advice?
2: Yeah, um, so first of all, you're spot on. Uh, a lot of what we're navigating that winds up being different from traditional dating advice does it have to do with heteronormativity and navigating the world without heteronormativity as the standard. So by that, I mean typical gender roles of the man leading, the woman following, the woman being better mm-hmm. at speaking, the man being better at doing, all this kind of stuff that we're kind of taught both literally, that's what our parents speak out loud to us, and that's what is being mirrored in media and whatnot in the world
1: around us. And who, who pays, pays for the that? dates, right? Who pays for the date? Who pays Generally, for the date? exactly, yeah, right. exactly.
2: Okay. So, so this is all, and even in heteronormative dynamics, even if you're not operating with it, if the woman decides to pay, like we all know what we're doing in relation to this heteronormative dynamic. So when that's off the table, we're left without a script and we have to figure out what to do. So that's where my coaching is, is different than traditional dating coaching, but a, a, along the lines of what you said, I also help people with initiation, um, using dating apps and whatnot. So this heteronormative piece is really different. So my biggest advice around this is really to explore because when we're not dealing with heteronormative dynamics, everything becomes a playground where we get to step into these different identities and see what feels good for us. And there's a lot of power to be found there. And I found particularly, I, I used to date men. Um, I, I no longer date men, and now I'm dating women and trans folks. And in this in this place of dating women and trans folks where things aren't prescribed and these gender roles aren't prescribed, I'm finding a lot of power going off script. I'm finding a lot of power exploring what it is that makes me feel good and, and when it feels good to take the lead in certain ways that society has kind of taught us as
0: taboo does that make sense kind of totally you know i love what you said earlier about the fact that you loved dating i you know i i remember that i've been married <laughs> to a man for 21 years now so you know i feel like that was a long time ago but a lot of people really have a lot of fear in dating, and I think that's because there's no one-size-fits-all relationship. And I'm sure you've experienced this quite a bit as you see relationships that fall out of, you know, the quote uh, traditional heteronormative sort. How important do you think it is to be open to new relationships or partners who might not fit the type that you're used to?
2: Yeah. Um, well, first, I want to say that people, a, a lot of people hate dating. People really think dating
0: sucks.
1: Which is a huge I think part. dating sucks. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yes. Oh, my goodness. It was
0: so exciting. And it was like a, a chess game, like a, you know, a strategy. And it was just no. interesting.
1: Uh, no. No? Wait, Kate, Joan, when did you date? 20 years well, ago? This, 25 yeah. years ago? 20, 20, 20 Things have changed. Years ago, at least. Okay. Yeah. And you don't want to get into the dating game today. Trust me. So make sure you make it work with Donna, right?
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> Not <laughs> the same
1: dating landscape as it was. It I find it sucks personally. But go ahead. Please keep it's, going. Well, I just think
2: it's interesting. Pe- people hate it for a whole different host of reasons. Yes, sometimes it's because the there is more of a traditional relationship style that they need to get into. But often I feel like people hate it because... Either the stakes feel too high or they're not, they feel like they're not finding what they're looking for, which we can get into that later. But I, I, think it's, I think it's important to know what it is that you're looking for if you're looking for partnership, to know what it is that you want to feel when you're with someone and to allow a lot of the other things that come into play, like what the person does, how tall they are, what they look like and whatnot, to really be a question mark. And allow yourself to be surprised by the package that whatever the feeling is might come in. So that's the main thing. and, And one of the keys, I think, to enjoying dating is to allow the stakes to be low and really to be surprised by how someone might make you feel who isn't necessarily what you had pictured for yourself.
1: Right, and you can always learn something new from every single person that you're sitting across. Yeah. And I I get that, but I personally don't enjoy dating, and and I know that I'm not alone. Uh, I don't like Mm -hmm. the disappointment that comes with a bad date or feeling like I'm, I don't know, like, wasting both my time and someone else's if that spark isn't there. Um, Yeah. Like, I... I feel like I know instantly, almost, not instantly, like I'll give them a chance, but I know within like five or 10 minutes if this is going to go anywhere. And then I just feel like my time is being wasted and I would rather be somewhere else. Yeah. But I'm such a kind person that I just don't yeah. know how to tell them. Like I'm not very good with confrontation myself. I don't believe in ghosting and, you know, mm. just disappearing or running you know, pretending to go to the bathroom and then running away or anything like that. Of course. You just never do that. But for me, it's like, okay, I just can't wait until that hour. Because usually I have like a one-hour rule. You go in, yeah. it's like with that one-hour mindset, once that hour is done, you know, you just let them know, hey, listen, I only have an hour today. You let them know in the beginning. So if, whether yeah. you like them or not. and what then
0: about just being honest? Just tell them. Because I don't want to hurt their feelings. Yeah, but you know, I think people appreciate someone who's frank.
1: I know, but I'll tell them later. I don't tell them like in front of their face. I just don't. Yeah. I, just, I just don't like being mean. I've never been able to do that. So,
2: yeah. I, I think it's really interesting what you're saying here. Because on the one hand, you think there's always something to learn from the person sitting across from you, and then on the other hand, it kind of feels like this is a waste of time because. You know somehow that this person isn't meant for you. I know, I, feel, I know, I'm yeah. i messed up that way. No, and you're not messed I, up. You're perfect. And so <laughs> many people fall into this. I think it's just a matter of kind of adjusting the volume dials a little bit, which is what I do in my coachings with folks too. Because people are like, yes, I I know people are amazing, and yet I feel like my time is being wasted. And I think that you're spot on with giving yourself a time limit, and that's something I talk to my folks about as well. But I think it's it's almost slowing down the process of. Uh, going from curiosity and uh, knowing this person has something to give you all the way into judgment of, I know this person isn't, you know, my person or whatever I'm looking for in this.
1: Well, especially mm-hmm. if you date a lot, you know, and you feel like your time's being wasted um, because you are a busy person. I mean, that's where yeah. it gets difficult, right? Totally. So yeah, totally. you have
0: to qualify them more beforehand. Like, you know, we've got FaceTime and all those things now. So you well, that's are- what's happening now. Yeah, yeah, you have to do that before you actually sit in front of them, before you can actually make that in-person judgment. I think you need to do more of the back-end qualifying. I totally agree, and that's uh, that's what I
1: do tell my clients, and I'm going to let you guys know what else I tell my clients, and I want to also hear from Ariella when we come back on the Dating and Relationship Show. We're going to continue this fun and exciting conversation. We'll be back.
0: Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bilotta from SingleInThisCity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
1: And we're back on the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto with myself, Laura Bilotta, and Joan Kelly Walker. We've been chatting with Ariella Sarur, the queer dating coach, about some of the experiences that come up during non-heteronormative relationships and what we can learn from them. For future relationships and before the break I guess we were talking about um, being on dates and how some of us feel like uh, they can be a waste of time Um, although I am a dating coach and sometimes I do feel like you know bad dates are a waste of time I do coach my clients uh, to have a different mindset and um, I know that doesn't sound right right but (laughs) (laughs) But I do try to remain positive. I mean, like, and what Joan said, try to qualify people before you go on these dates, which I have been doing. So I have been going on a lot less dates. I've been doing a lot more video chatting, which is so important. It's a great way to qualify someone before you actually meet them in person. But what I tell my clients is to be aware of the small talk um, that goes on during and after the date. It's so easy to... Get into that mindset of, you know, uh, you know I'll never meet someone and why do my dates never go well? So instead of letting that self-talk get in the way of your thinking, try to stop it in its tracks. So stop panicking that you're never going to find the one. And then focus on what you want to achieve. Okay, so the date didn't go well. Well, it's not the end of the world, and there are a lot more fish in the sea, so try to remain positive, because good things tend to happen to positive people. It's the law of attraction, and tell yourself, it's not your time, you just haven't met the right one yet, and this is the mindset that I have, so although I do go on some dates sometimes, and I feel like, ah, okay, you know, and then I feel deflated a little bit, I get down that, maybe that evening, but then, I turn around and go, okay, you know what? It's not the end of the world. It's not my time. It's the right person is out there, and I stay positive, and that's what keeps going. And I know that one day I will meet the right person for me.
0: So, Ariella, uh, just further to that, how do you think we can move to a better mindset when it comes to dating?
2: Yeah, um, so this is something that I talk about with clients a lot, and I think um, what you're saying, Laura, too, is, is spot on with remaining positive and whatnot. Um, something that I find is interesting is to – this, and this comes a bit from non um, but is what I call, in quotes, cushioning the hard part. So if you're someone who is going on dates and after every date you're getting really disappointed because they're not what you're looking for or mm. it doesn't go well, first of all, if you're a catch, which I'm sure if you've worked on yourself you are, the chances of you – of every date feeling like a home run – are pretty low, like it's going to take someone who's quite amazing to actually make you feel good and to actually feel like a hit. So more often than not, I'm not expecting the people I'm going on dates with to actually be up to what I'm looking for or to have the communication skills that I'm looking for in someone else. So so that being said, cushioning the hard part is something that we can do when we're going to do something scary or big, or we might feel disappointed after. I use it also when talking about asking people out. So you can do something nice for yourself not only after the date after you're disappointed but do something nice for yourself before the date so what this could look like is going for a walk or t- taking a nice bath or getting your favorite chocolate bar and this is stuff that sometimes I will brainstorm with clients in sessions to figure out how can you how can you tell your body and your mind that Yes, what you're about to do might be scary, might be hard, might not have the result that you're looking for, but it's okay to keep doing it. And I'm going to treat you kindly before and after the thing so that we can keep doing the thing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm.
1: I love that. And I tend to work out. I do that uh, before every date. I work out. It makes me feel better about myself and it gives me that boost yeah. that I need before I go into the date.
0: I think that's great. I think it's good too to have something else social right away afterwards. Oh sorry, you know what? I only had an hour because I have to go meet some girlfriends or you know, something. Love that. Um, totally, yeah. totally. Something to lift your spirits for sure. Leaning yeah, on I community think, is really important. Talk about it and you just feel better. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So sharing. Um So growing up, you know, we're often faced with stereotypes, and this is something that the queer community deals with all the time, even the stereotypes that we're taught when we're children, that women are supposed to be more emotional and men should have a tougher, more sexualized mindset. That all comes into play when we start dating. So how do stereotypes come into play when it comes to dating? Do you think that they're affecting relationships?
2: For sure. And, and for the queer community, you know, we're a little, we're a little bit exempt from this a a little bit. It is, I think stereotypes come more into play when dealing with heteronormative dating dynamics. And Mm. even Esther Perel talks about the feminization of intimacy, which means women are socialized to talk well, or men are socialized to do. And I think that that's all kind of backwards and arbitrary, but I, I do. I definitely see in the dating world around me. You know, even what we were saying before with gender roles, as far as men being the ones that usually pay, and women are the ones that keep the conversation flowing and whatnot. I think stereotypes are are, are all over the place, and we I, need to do the work to, well, to undo some of those.
1: I don't know who these people are dating because I, I every time I go on a date, I can't shut the guy up. <laughs> <laughs> It's Like can you shut can up for a minute competition. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, interesting, I yeah. always tend to attract guys See, this is funny because I tend to i tend to draw on to guys that don't talk as much um because I like to be the one that talks a little more, but i'm I tend to attract the ones that just talk over talk, and then oh, they wow. just keep when people talking. are nervous sometimes
0: they talk no more no no than normally would. even like
1: when i've got you know things have have progressed into second, third, fourth, fifth dates. I find that they still continue to talk that much. And sometimes it's huh. like, okay, they take over the conversation all the time. It's like, why do I keep
0: attracting this type?
2: <laughs> yeah, they need to ask you more questions for sure.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. So, Ariella, are there stereotypes in the queer community? And what would they be? Um,
2: there are stereotypes in general, but... Honestly, in my coaching practice, this isn't something that I'm seeing too much pop up. I think it's more stereotypes when it comes to society standards and society standards of what's hot and what's not. And people feeling self-conscious if they don't fit the particular image that essentially capitalism has profited off of. Like, then mm. that's why I see people measuring themselves against something bigger than themselves, which which can be stereotypical. Um, but as far as the queer community ourselves, I'm... I'm not. I'm not seeing too much of that, to be honest.
1: I want to talk about non-traditional relationships now. So you're a big believer in the non-monogamous relationship, yes? Um, which I'm not. So I'm curious to hear from you. So what types? Uh, unless you want that. Unless two parties want that, that's fine. So what types of relationships do you typically see when it comes to this? And based on your experience, um, what are the important things to think about when it comes to giving this a try?
2: Okay, well, first of all, I want to say the only time where I'm a big believer in non-monogamy is when both people do want it. I am not a believer in anyone cheating or whatnot. Like non-monogamy, it's usually called ethical non-monogamy and abbreviated E-N-M. So, so all of this that I'm saying is with both people clearly on the same page about it. So I'll say that first off, the the reason why I'm such a big believer in non-monogamy is not necessarily because I'm, I, I think people need to have sex outside of their relationship or need to have partners outside of their relationship, but the pillars of non-monogamy make for a very strong relationship. So what, what that means is that, you need to be able to have really difficult conversations with your partner. You need to be really transparent about what it is that you desire. And then you build the relationship from the ground up. Um, there's an organization called Curious Fox. who I'm a, big, I'm a big supporter of their work. And they talk about relationship by design and how both people really need to build what it is that they want to build together, talking about it instead of falling into traditional patterns and doing what, Maybe they saw their parents do that either did or didn't work. But both people really bringing to the table, hey, this is why I want to be in the relationship. This is what I want it to look like. This is what I'm hoping to gain here. And, like, let's see how we can make this work for the both of us.
1: They're all mine. I don't want to share with anybody. Oh, as far as other people? Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's okay. That's cool. And and I, I if, if you're forthcoming with that information, then, you know, don't worry about what I'm saying.
1: But, <laughs> okay. but there is. There's there one are oh, oh yes so. we've talked about this we talked about that on the show extensively yes so I understand about wanting I do your person to be all you yeah no 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 that that there there are people that are interested in having sex with with a bunch of people rather than just with one partner and, and that's okay there's no judgment here anything goes it's whatever works for the two of you I no judgment
2: for sure for sure what I will say though even in monogamous relationships and the uh, I'm not sure how familiar or if you've talked about Esther Perel's work on the radio show before, but um, she she talks about acknowledging the presence of a third and understanding the reality of the situation that it's, it's highly unlikely that even in a monogamous couple that neither person will ever be attracted to another human being. And allowing that conversation to be a conversation, not that it needs to be acted upon, but removing the taboo that, like, yes, I'm in this, I love you, maybe we're married, whatever – Allowing the reality of the situation, I'm a human who might be attracted to other things that are in my line of vision, to, to be something that's talked about within the partnership I think is more important than monogamy Just allowing, mm. the, to, removing the taboo that we might be attracted to other people
0: in our long life together. I agree with that, but I can see there being a huge problem if there's a breakdown in communication or if someone is uh unconfident to actually be really honest and open about where they feeling yeah, for sure for sure yeah communication is the most
2: important the most important
0: If someone is in a in a non-monogamous relationship um, how do you make sure that you're really sensitive to being honest to your own feelings and to that of your partner and what if you sense that one of you isn't really being forthcoming with your thoughts and feelings? Well, I I would be tempted to turn the question back
2: on you for any monogamous relationship as well, right? So it's like, how do we, in general, whether other people are in the picture or not, stay really in touch with our own feelings, and stay stay generous with what we're giving to our partners and what they're asking for and what happens when we feel like there's a breakdown in communication. It's all the same. It's just that the topic of conversation can be shifted slightly when we're no longer afraid of certain taboos about relationships. So when it comes to non-monogamy in particular, I think what's really important is is obviously establishing healthy communication, knowing how to talk to each other in ways that don't don't encourage each other to get defensive. And my last partner, when we were non-monogamous, we would have meetings. Like we would have full-on relationship meetings that we would schedule in. We would talk about how it's going. We would meetings? Um,
1: yeah, relationship like what, every meetings Friday at, every Friday at eight p.m. with no alcohol. No, not every. Right? <laughs> um, Alcohol-free no, meetings because those can get um... heated.
2: Yeah. Um, It wouldn't necessarily be weekly, but it would be like, um, we haven't, you know, we haven't checked in for a while, or if you're going away for a little bit and you're leaving the city and we're going to be doing long distance, like let's check in about whether we want to, you know, update our agreements. But the the whole point of non-monogamy is to allow each person to really have their own strong sense of autonomy and to take care of each other while doing it. So there is no, um, there's no fear of really pushing too fast because it goes a lot slower than you might think. There's a lot more conversation than, than we might think is even normal for a relationship. And when, when it feels like something's not going well, we seek outside help. And I was seeing a therapist who was really well-versed in non-monogamy. I would ask her my questions and, and we'd go as slow as both people needed to go.
1: Mm. Great, great, great That's advice. Brilliant. Yeah, great advice. We need to take a break. What types of things should we be asking on dates and what should we avoid? And much more when we come back on the Dating and Relationship Show. Don't go anywhere.
0: Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bilotta from SingleInThisCity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
1: Welcome back. It's Sunday night and you're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellata with co-host Joan Kelly Walker. And tonight we're talking about the stresses of dating and how to make it fun again with Ariella Sarur. She's the queer dating coach. I love this show. We are having so much fun, ladies. And I think, Joan, this is your first show talking about dating and I'm so impressed like you know so much and you haven't been in the game for so long.
0: Well you know I've been I've been married for I just had my 21st wedding anniversary but I'm not under a rock and I have so many friends that are in the dating world and I sort of live vicariously through them. I know how much things have changed and I know how scary it is. Like, you know, in my day, you would meet people through people. And now it seems people are meeting more through technology. And things have really changed. Like you have a list and you, you sort of judge people beforehand. You qualify them before you meet them in person. And there's, there's more of a process. But, you know, I, I totally respect that. And I really respect what the two of you are doing in coaching people and helping them navigate this situation. Well, thank you very much. Um,
1: And I do like, because I do remember, you know, I'm, uh, my age is up there as well. And I do remember dating back in the day and I loved it. It There was something so authentic about it. And now it just seems so cold and um, surreal too. Like you're flipping through these apps and you could be passing by some amazing person because they have one photo up or they didn't write a good description about themselves. And you're just like, I don't want to waste my time. So I'm just gonna say no. Meanwhile, they could be the love of your life. They could be the best match you've ever met in your life. They could be the the one for you that you feel would be the
0: one for you, right? So, yeah, yeah that's what makes it difficult. Yeah, or you if know, they respond sure. too quickly or something like you know, or if they send flowers or something like things are so much more calculated now than they used to be.
1: Yeah, I want it's flowers. something
0: that. Something that comforts me in this is, is
2: something that I've heard Lily Womble, who's another dating coach, talk about. And it's the phrase, what's meant for me won't pass me by. And I find that to be very soothing to think about, especially in those mm. moments where you're like, oh, I'm going to swipe over this person who has no, you know, just one picture, like you said. So what's meant for me won't pass me by. I like to hold on to that.
1: Okay. Hmm. Um, So when it comes to dating, we want to do everything that we can to make the other person, you know, feel comfortable. And and one of the best ways to do that is by asking questions that put them at ease and stir up positive emotions. So, Ariella, what types of things should we be asking and what should we avoid?
2: Well, first, I think you're spot on about putting them at ease and stirring up positive emotions. I think that's a great goal. And I'll say that people love when you show genuine interest in them, there's all this uh, theory out there and pickup theory and whatnot of what makes people like you. And I think it's the balance of showing genuine interest in another person and maintaining your own autonomy. As far as with with questions, um, I know there there are certain things you you really want to know that are kind of fact based, like what you do for work and whatnot. Um, but I, so I I would say you can ask those questions, but then try to get to the layer just underneath that, which could be something like, um, what's your favorite part of your job? Or do you have a favorite coworker? What's your relationship like with them? Something that is anchored to the present moment, not something where we're asking them, you know, what, what was the most difficult thing you had to overcome at work? You know, maybe if you get there, you get there, but we're not asking about like, why did you go through the breakup? What, what happened in your last re- relationship? Like we can get those things. No. In
1: mm-hmm. but for
2: a first date, I think it's okay to keep it light, but still keep it anchored into some kind of emotional quality so you can get a sense of who this person really is.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I agree. Asking questions that spark a positive emotion in the other person. For example, I noticed that you have children. Uh, what has been the proudest moment uh, as a parent? Or, you know, what's the most amazing trip you've ever been on? You, you can yeah. see their face light up sometimes. You know, oh, that, you know, brings back amazing memories. You know, what are you working uh, on? Any personal passion? passionate projects that you're working on. How, ask them how they spend their weekends. So what are some yeah. things that we we should avoid asking though? Again, you said it, don't talk about your past relationships. Yeah.
2: And, and I just want to say too, exactly what you're saying with with the questions that you're giving for an example. When When you're allowing someone to answer questions that have made them recall something positive about themselves, you're both, Anchoring into them the fact that you are interested, you're showing genuine interest, and you're allowing them to associate you with experiencing positive emotions. So I think that there's really a lot of benefit to be had by asking these kind of feelings-based questions where we're really giving, being generous with allowing the other person to feel something really good and, and tell us about it.
0: Joan, do you remember mm. anything from
1: your past dating life? Yep, yeah, I remember, you know, it's a, real,
0: it's a real mood killer. If anybody starts talking about their ex, like, do not mm. go there. But you know what, like, it comes down to basic conversation skills. You have to ask yeah. questions of the other person. And it's like pulling teeth if you're asking all these questions and they're not asking anything and you're trying to share something. So it has to be a back and forth. And, you know, a lot of this, there's a book I remember from ages ago that Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and uh-huh. Influence People. That's exactly yeah. what they're talking about. I mean, these are, these are, you know, tried and true techniques of engaging people and, you know, making yourself interesting and finding out about other people. And that's what you have to do.
1: Yes, for yes. sure. I think that's spot on. But, you know, keep in mind that some people tend to get nervous on first dates. Mm-hmm. And so we can't always, we have to go lightly when we try to, when we judge people because yeah. especially if with? they're really attracted to you. I, I They move, they get all tongue tied and they just go mm-hmm. their brain just goes blank. That happens to me what if, on this show.
0: What if they say, you know what, I'm so nervous. Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? If they actually confess to you, like, I'm so nervous, I'm sweating, I'm shaking.
2: Um, first of all, I think it's totally okay to name the experience you're having. If you're naming it in a way that is not putting the responsibility on the other person to solve that. So I think if you're feeling re- really nervous on a date, um, yes, you can be like, wow, I am way more nervous than I expected. You looked very attractive. And you could say it with a sense of, of optimism and positivity, even if the experience, the emotional experience might be deemed negative. Does that make sense?
1: Yes. I don't, totally. know, if I would, I don't know if I would point that out to someone, No. That could really embarrass them. So oh, I'm not sure.
0: embarrassing! No, I think if they're sharing it, they're just being honest. Like, like I remember the first time I went live on the radio. I think I was doing traffic or something, like a million years ago. And I remember actually thinking, like, oh my god, my heart is pounding. I'm sweating. I'm so nervous yes. that I just acknowledged it, and then I sort of yes. was able to, like, you know, think about the wonder of how you physically react when you're interested like that.
1: There you go, ladies. You both taught me something that I didn't know. We need to take a break. How important is it to take responsibility for our actions on dates when we come back on The Dating and Relationship Show?
0: You're listening to The Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Belotta. From singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: Thanks for joining us again for the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm your host, Laura Bellata joined by my co-host, Joan Kelly Walker, and the queer dating coach, Ariella Sarur. Tonight we're discussing non-heteronormative relationships and how we can make dating fun again by getting into the right mindset to enjoy the process.
0: And, you know, it obviously is when it comes to dating, we want to do what we can to make the other person feel more comfortable and then you have a better experience as well. Um, But I have girlfriends, one in particular, that she really feels like she needs the person to give her compliments. She spends a lot of time getting herself prepared for a date. And if they don't even acknowledge, like, wow, you look really pretty or, or something it's a game changer for her. So how important is that? And is that just insecurity or do you have to carry that through, like, once you establish that into, like, you know, your fourth, fifth, sixth date? Um,
2: Well, yeah, I I think that's a really interesting question. You know, it's hard to tell from this brief anecdote whether it's insecurity or what. But for me, if I were someone who would take it really personally or, or maybe feel like it, it affects my sense of self or self-worth if someone doesn't compliment me. I would I would really look into what that means for myself and what are the things I'm telling about myself, how beautiful am I telling myself that I am, so I can really kind of fill that bucket up and not rely on someone else to give that to me because... We can't really rely on anything from our first dates. I think that's part of keeping the stakes way too high, thinking that this person is going to be something that we're looking for when we really haven't totally vetted them yet. So I try to take a lot of responsibility in that way. If words of affirmation are something that you really need on a first date, mm-hmm. for me, if that's, me, like, if that's if your love I, language, if that's your love language, for me, in my book, I'm all about my, my practice is all about transparency, generosity, and kindness. I would tell them I'd be like, look, I, I love when people tell me that I look great. It really means a lot to me, it makes me feel loved. So I just want to throw that out there. Like, I, I am generous with telling people how to treat me in a way that makes me feel good. And then we can and then if they don't do it, then fine, whatever. But but we some people don't compliment each other for fear of sexualizing someone too soon. There are there are a whole host of reasons So we have to really
1: give be, be generous with telling people what we want. And some guys hold back because they don't want the woman to get the wrong idea.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I, <laughs> I I, had a situation happen to me where I kind of, dating this guy, was giving me breadcrumbs. He was he was in and out, in and out. He's hot and cold, whatever. And that was kind of one of the last jobs for me. Uh, he took me out on a date, and I spent, like, two hours getting ready. And I really did look pretty, like I did. I looked really great. And he couldn't even give me, a, like, a one compliment. Come mm-hmm. like, on. Mm-hmm. Not like like I took all that time to get ready for you. And your girlfriend's right in that way. And you're, I realize you're right. If her love language is words of affirmation, that's how she feels loved or appreciated from a, a person that she's interested in. So that is what is important to her uh, yeah. in a relationship moving
0: forward. Yeah, totally.
1: Now, okay, so, uh, of course, after a bad date, right, we have this tendency to pick things apart and often look at outside factors like something our date said or a bad environment as the reasons why it didn't work out. But we don't usually look at ourselves at a, as a factor. So how important do you think it is to take responsibility for uh, our actions on dates, and what can we learn from this?
2: I think it's hugely important, Even even you saying that, you don't want to ghost, you know, like, I think the whole game is that we treat people the way that we want, way we want to be treated a hundred percent. So if the date doesn't go well, we have to first figure out why, why, wh- what about it didn't go well? Is it just that like it was a fine date, but the person didn't, isn't what you're looking for. There, there might not be too much to learn here. There might not be too much to dive in. It might've been that the conversation was flowing and that thing felt good, but it just doesn't, maybe the chemistry wasn't there or whatnot fine. So in those cases, it's like, maybe there's something to learn, maybe not. However, if it's something like we were stuck talking small talk, um, I didn't know how to change that type of conversation to go a little bit deeper. These are things that we can take responsibility for. If it was something like, like we said before, I'm really nervous. I was really nervous on that date. Then what can I do before the date to get myself ready? That would make me feel less nervous. Or how can we shift the date? to be less talking-oriented? Can we go do an activity where maybe I don't have to worry about tripping over my words or I don't have to worry about exactly what I'm saying? And those are the ways in which we can take responsibility to do things on the date that we actually find enjoyable.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important to take responsibility for your own actions when on dates, um, um, Uh, because people that never generally do, they're called gaslighters. And a gaslighter is a master deflector. It's never their fault. You know, some call them narcissists. And and the main Mm -hmm. problem with this is anyone who doesn't want to be held accountable in life is someone who is not emotionally mature enough for a real relationship. And you'll probably be walking around constantly hurting others, you know, over and over again. So if this sounds like you, uh, I think that you're the problem and you should self-reflect and work on yourself. So be the one whom you want to be in a relationship with. Be the one whom you want to be in a relationship with. And like what you said, treat others the way you want to be treated.
0: Hmm. And I totally agree. I think doing an activity is great because then even if the relationship isn't going anywhere, you walk away from it feeling better. Yes, Yeah, it could be fun regardless. Yeah. And the whole perspective on dating apps. um, Now, how can that whole process be better?
2: Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, First of all, I'll say that dating apps are just one way to meet people. And it, I I think of meeting people, there are kind of like four main
1: well, categories. Wait a second. Right now, we have no other way to meet people, really, unless you're hanging out at the grocery store or the liquor store. I thought about it, but.
0: With COVID. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: to be fair,
2: I have still met two people organically during COVID. Meeting people in person is like my bread and butter. So I love it. A, a lot of people have, have trouble, and, and that is totally understandable. So most people are picking dating apps right now. So um the, the question is how to make dating apps suck less. So one way to make them suck less is don't be on too many. I'd say pick the dating apps that are most in alignment, potentially giving yourself a time limit for how long you're actually going to be on the app. Maybe it's, uh, you know, I have three matches. I have to send a message. I put the phone away. It all depends on what you consider to be enjoyable. And then we can kind of borrow from the other areas of life where you find fun and infuse it into the dating app experience.
1: Amazing advice. And dating apps that you suggest for queer folks.
2: I think it still depends on what your dating values are, but I see a lot of folks on um, OKCupid if they're in the non monogamy sphere. I see people on Lex, which is a queer specific dating app. Um, Field is OK. Um, and then people are on Hinge and Bumble as
1: well. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Where can we learn more about you?
2: Thank you so much for having me. It was such a blast, such a fun conversation. I know. Um, I am at <laughs> So fun! I'm at Queer Dating Coach on Instagram and QueerDatingCoach.com uh, for my website. And you can feel free to send me a DM or an email whenever.
0: I love talking about dating. I'm happy to do it. And Joan? Awesome. I'm at JoanKellyWalker.com or JoanKellyWalkerOfficial on Instagram.
1: And I'm SingleInTheCity.ca or official OfficialLauraBilotta on Instagram. Or follow us, the Dating and Relationship Show on Instagram. Thank you everybody for tuning in. Bye. Bye.